2: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
3: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David.
5: I'm Sam Edis
6: and I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with
5: Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together
6: we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands.
5: Listen every Thursday or join the conversation anytime on Instagram at what's Her Story podcast.
6: Hitha Palapu is the CEO of Roshan Pharmaceuticals and an author of two books, including we Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris.
5: You have such a rich family history, and I'd love for you to share it with our listeners. I am a daughter
7: of Indian immigrants. I am a mother raising who I hope to be feminist sons, and I am the wife of a true partner in every sense of the word. And truly, it starts with not just my parents, but certainly more progressively-minded grandparents who raised each of my parents with a different perspective than traditional Indian values were at that time. My mom rejected several men before she said yes to my dad. So even though it was an arranged marriage, it was very much a marriage based on her terms and her acceptance Of it, And the reason she said yes to my dad, I find to be so interesting because he was not the wealthiest. He was not the most financially secure. He was just working in the United States, finally gotten a job in the pharma industry, someone who had lost his hearing as a child and had to, so he struggled a lot to get to where he was at that time and told my mom the truth about what life in the United States was. He said, it's very lonely. And it is hard. You do have these conveniences like dishwashers and washing machines, but you're living in a world where people will rename you because they can't take the patience to understand your name. You're going to have this culture imposed on you versus being in the culture you yourself had been raised in for years. If that sounds like a life you can handle, you know, I would be delighted to build a life with you, but I want to tell you what you're in for. And it was that honesty that had my mom saying, yes, they had met on her birthday in 1977 and were married two and a half
5: weeks later. His older brother was one of only 100 Indians in one year that was allowed to immigrate to the United States. Can you talk a little bit about that and the impact it had on your family?
7: Absolutely. So my uncle earned a Fulbright scholarship that allowed him to travel from India to the States to continue studying chemistry. And that was at the time that was in the late fifties before the national immigration act had been passed where the cap was a hundred visas issued to Indians to come to the United States. And so he was one of very few and there was no Indian community really at that time my aunt followed a few years later with her husband, and they in turn were able to sponsor my father to come to the States as well. And once he got here, that was the first time he got a hearing aid, which meant that was the first time he could hear.
6: Your latest book is called We're Speaking, The Life Lessons of Kamala Harris. And Kamala also has a very strong immigrant mother. What drew you to Kamala's story and wanting to write about it.
7: I write in the book about how this is a book that I'd actually been writing for a very long time since I knew who Kamala Harris was and how, you know, she had been mentoring me from afar for many years. So she first came on my radar, you know, during the mortgage foreclosure crisis and the follow up and the legal follow up of settlements for homeowners all over the country. So I had a very nerdy obsession with the recession and was like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? What are we going to do to make sure something like this hasn't happened again and citizens are protected? And so this one name kept popping up in the news about it, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris. And I I never took the time to Google her at the time, which I find really funny because I'm the type of person who Googles everything when it comes to my mind. But it wasn't until... You know, she had negotiated a settlement for California homeowners that exceeded what was already what was on the table for the full federal and state responses. She had walked away from the negotiate the joint negotiating table and brought together allies to fight for a better settlement. And I was I was on some business trip, had CNN on the background, and saw this woman. I'm like, she could be related to me. Strut to the podium with such confidence. And then the Chiron said, Attorney General Kamala Harris. And I was like, that's Kamala Harris? Because in my mind, I was picturing someone much older, like with the quote unquote experience that had always been attributed to impactful politicians. And I had no idea she was this relatively young attorney general of the largest state in the union who made a major, major thing happen on behalf of California homeowners. So that the re- obsession with the recession focused onto his ob- obsession with Kamala Harris and really it was in studying how she spoke what she wore the way she carried herself because at the time and i was working at, with my dad on in a separate company i was in a lot of rooms where i was the only woman i certainly was always the youngest and i was one of the few people of color and being othered was something that happened to me quite often and not having the ability to speak up or contribute the way I wanted to. And there weren't a whole a lot of women in leadership and life sciences at the time that I could look to for mentorship or guidance. She became that mentor from afar. So it's not as if I started donning pantsuits and had like a perfectly curled blowout. But she gave me kind of the confidence
5: to wear what I felt good in. And own that. In reading your book, I felt like you must have felt like you had discovered her and then suddenly the whole world had discovered her. Was it a little bit like that? Were you like, she's been my obsession well before any of you knew her? It definitely was. It's
7: like when you know the band, first know of a band or a certain author, it felt very much like that. But I also is, I take it personally when I see like just bullshit reporting. With like the inflammatory headline, making mountains out of molehills, because it's part of a really troubling trend I observe. When the press reports on powerful women, there is like the buildup of hyping her up, the flattering profiles and features. There's sort of the anointment with the covers, uh, covers of magazines, awards, all of that. And then comes the teardown.
5: What was your entry into pharmaceuticals like? And what's that trajectory been like for you?
7: Well, it started with nepotism. (laughs) And (laughs) let's just um, call out the elephant in the room. I have my job because my father was co-founder of our last company, Cytos. That said, we did have a pretty clear division of church and state in terms of I reported to his business partner, who was the CEO. Joe took me under his wing taught me everything I needed to know when it came to negotiation and managing partnerships, financial accounting, our general counsel, Paul Feuerman walked me through kind of the mechanics of term sheets and licensing agreements and getting comfortable enough with the legalese to know what I can tackle on my own and confident enough to know when to call excellent outside counsel And how to hire great lawyers as well, which very grateful for Paul for that. Our COO, CFO, Mike Bolio taught me like how to build a model and the mechanics of this. I have, and I want to just say this, I have had wonderful men who have championed me in industry and given me what I needed to succeed. That said, I was one of the only. And I had to say, why can't our head of manufacturing be a woman? Like, there have to be women candidates out there. Why can't our head of regulatory be a woman? There have to be women candidates out there. At which point they realized, oh, yeah, we absolutely can and we should. So I am grateful that they were. And once we had those team members join us, they help show me the ropes of how to navigate the gender politics of being
5: in some of these rooms. It would be awesome if you could explain to us what happens when you're running a pharmaceutical company. I think for so for most of us who are not in science, it's like, what does that even mean? And what are you doing every day? And what are you building and bringing to market? So we're
7: working currently at Roshan Pharmaceuticals an injectable aspirin, which will be administered by your EMT or by a nurse in the emergency room. The significance of delivering aspirin in this way is for suspected heart attack or stroke, where getting preventing the clot from getting bigger within the first hour of clot onset, it could be life or death. They call this the golden hour. So to safe, ours works in under a minute versus oral or rectal aspirin taking a minimum of about 20 minutes to hit the bloodstream. Additionally, with ours, 100% of drug Enters a bloodstream versus the 30% because of the gastric effect. So when you think about the urgency of these conditions and the need to deliver this extremely safe therapeutic as effectively as possible and consistently as possible, the need is there. The pricing, you can't price aspirin exorbitantly high, which is why we really struggle to raise venture or get large biopharmas excited about this. But it was a long slog. So to talk a little bit about the history of the company, this is actually something that has been, my dad has been thinking about and working on since the late 70s when he was getting his PhD. His advisor said, Nagesh, whoever develops injectable aspirin deserves a Nobel Prize because from a chemistry perspective, it is exorbitantly difficult, but all but impossible to have a scalable manufacturing process and for formulation to stay in a crystalline form. He also then said also it would save a lot of lives. So my dad had been thinking about this for years. This was a product that we did. he did start working on at Cytos. And then once we had outlicensed the active portfolio from Cytos, he spun this product out and said, I'm going to keep tinkering with it. We're, we're not where we need to be. But I want to, this might be my final one, so let me keep thinking about it and working on it on my own without the pressure of working on it with a partner. He successfully got to the lead formulation by the end of, I want to say 2016, 2017, worked with our IP lawyers to file the patents. So we confirmed we had freedom to operate. His patents were novel, non-obvious, and not infringing any other of the aspirin IP that was on the market at the time, and filed those patents that have now since been granted. And then in March 2017, we met with the FDA for the first time to talk about the development plan and specifically the clinical study required for approval. FDA- agreed with our approach and gave us a very reasonable clinical study design that allowed us to you know get approval in a pretty modest study which that study is is just wrapping up and then we brought on our head of manufacturing at that time who's been wonderful and a wonderful partner to me and I will say we are still given all this time and even though we got to skip a lot of steps and that we were Formulating something that already existed in terms of the active drug, we still won't file with FDA for a couple, like a year
5: and a half. What does a day in the life of a pharmaceutical CEO look like?
7: It looks different every day, much like any CEO. And it really depends on what we have going on at any specific time. But also, as I've been able to hire a bigger team, what I do is significantly less than what I used to do. So, For instance, right now we're wrapping up a clinical study, so it's about scheduling calls with our partners to get them the full update on how the final dosing and the final subjects have gone. For manufacturing, it's making sure my head of manufacturing and our technical team have what they need to work with the new partners. And then for me right now, it's managing the licensing, the partnership with the team that licensed our product. So I speak with their senior team members every single week. We have an overall catch-up joint steering committee meeting every few weeks. And it's making sure the partner is informed of everything that's happening and is happy with everything that's happening. So relationship management is my job. But before that, it was securing funding. So a lot of investor pitches, a lot of no's and a lot of retooling the pitch, refining my list, and getting back out there. With When we were negotiating the licensing deal, it was a lot of time with my lawyers to understand the red lines and one get that legalese education, and to think really thoughtfully, what is non-negotiable for us? And what can we accept with maybe some caveats or edits? You know, so right now, I am thrilled that my team is really taking the lead on development and on building relationships with their technical team. And my job is really to, it's much more focused. And the stress of managing cash flow or understanding like, when is our next tranche of capital coming in? How am I going to afford to pay my team is significantly decreased today than it was a year ago.
5: What's it like working with your father?
7: It is the best. However, I will say that I think family businesses, it's like very binary. It's either phenomenal and a perfect fit, or it is the worst idea ever. And I don't see there being much of an in-between. It is truly an honor and a privilege to work with someone who I view as one of the most brilliant scientific minds of our time. And especially in life sciences, you know, you could have a brilliant formulator who none of his formulations or her formulations could get scaled up to be a commercial product. You can have someone who is so smart about scaling up manufacturing, but then you're giving up some of the elements of the formulation that made it, you know, soluble, stabilizable, or, you know, diminishing the quality of the product. And then on top of it, you need to be able to Develop a formulation that can get a patent granted on it. And right now, my father is batting a thousand when it comes to defending his patents against infringement or invalidation cases. So he really is a triple threat in drug development, but he's also just one of the best people I know. We've had a remote culture since the beginning of Cytos. We've never been the type of company to require people to be in an office, but we did prioritize getting together on a regular basis to not let things go too far without gathering live and building relationships with with people. He is someone who has such humility about what he is doing. Like He understands that I'm doing this to help save lives. And... It has been just one of the great honors of my life to get to work and build companies with him that have hopefully impacted humanity for the better. And now a quick break.
6: Are you a woman owned business looking for a new sales channel? I'm so excited to tell you about our newest partner, the W Marketplace. Founded by two women, it's a nationwide e-commerce site for women entrepreneurs and the shoppers who support them. It offers favorable terms and is a supportive community for female-founded companies. With over 500 women-owned businesses selling thousands of products and services, the W Marketplace might be your favorite new sales channel. Intrigued? Learn more at jointhewmarketplace.com.
0: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man.
2: Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply.
3: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
4: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it.
3: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I used to have so many men.
3: How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications.
0: She had a Harvard plaque
3: employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry.
5: She would probably have sex with one of her clients.
3: Hide your money in your old rich (laughs) man,
7: because she is on the prowl.
3: Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: You've let your hair go gray, and it looks so youthful and beautiful. I bet you've influenced so many women to do the same. Can you talk about that decision and what that's like? I decided
7: to go gray right around the time I had I delivered Rocky, and so my roots were already starting to grow out. And that was the first time I was like, "Huh, I kind of like these little sparkles of silver," versus the dread of, "Oh my God, I need to get back in the salon." I went back to my roots, literally did a lot of like Indian oil scalp massage to recondition the grays that were coming in to soften them from that wiry texture they usually are to like a really softer, nor- like my my usual hair texture was very diligent about that, was very diligent about getting glosses so that the hair, the gray didn't become overly brassy and have just maintained it to now three, about three years later like, there is no more highlight left of that. It is just my hair. And it feels so me. It feels so good. And it's the first time in my life I actually really like my hair. And I like that part of me versus, you know, having more frizzy, thick, unruly Indian hair that I would be in submission with straightening irons and like straightening treatments and all of that. I've kind of learned to really like this part about myself. And I think it has helped, helped me like other parts of myself more from embracing my very distinguished nose, and liking just all the parts of me that normally I would beat myself up about.
6: What was your relationship with your name growing up and that part of you?
7: I mean, when you're growing up a brown kid and one of the only brown kids in your class and school and your name ends with poo you're going to get some really creative insults hurled your way. I think someone called me hit the pile of poo and I came home wanting to change my name. And again, my mother in her infinite wisdom and confidence said, this is why we chose your name. And your name is beautiful. Your name is strong. These people are deeply unkind. And obviously something is bothering them that they feel the need to take this out on you. And really, my mom needs to write a book because she really is a genius. But also, that has also influenced kind of thinking about where do I want to raise my family? What do I name my kids? And, you know, it was one of those sort of it builds character experiences that while I endured it and I grew from it, it was something that I wouldn't choose for my own children. So, you know, living in New York City where... 30% 30 percent of my older son's class is South Asian, which is something a critical mass I certainly never had is something that I find it is so different from what I grew up with, but it's also exactly how what I what I'd like to give my kids that I didn't have. And you know that they have their Indian full names, but these westernized nicknames that one makes it easy to pronounce, the two have their own meaning for our own family is is special to us and you know your names are a gift from your family from your parents it's the first gift any of us ever receive so we are very reverent about names and with the kids too it's teaching them to always ask what someone's name is and take the time to learn how to pronounce it properly because that is the first form of respect you ever show anyone
5: so tell us how you met your incredible husband
7: We met at an Indian networking conference in Canada. And even though it was in Canada, neither of us are Canadian. We were living in Canada at the time. Just we were both members of this organization. Him from the the national chapter leadership perspective, me as the chapter liaison from Philadelphia. I was late to the board meeting. He um, came up to me after the board meeting and said, I haven't met you yet. And I said, no, you haven't. I'm Hitha. We talk, flirt for a bit go our separate ways. The next day, he comes back around and comes up to me. And I'm very excited because I'm like, cute boy from yesterday. Yes. And he's like, hi, I haven't met you yet. And I was like, excuse me, Sreena Simon, I met you yesterday. Did you go through all 400 women at this conference in a single night that you're now recycling lines? Well done, you and stormed off. And so for the rest of the conference, he just like was kind of chasing me down to apologize. But when anytime we got into a really great conversation, like a woman would come up to him and be like, Sri. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, is he into me, but all these women are chasing him? Apparently he was like the bachelor to get at this <laughs> conference. But anyway, it was one of those there was this moment. It was the Saturday night of the conference. We were talking, it was at a club, Solarium, if it's still there in Toronto, I feel like I need to go back and like pay my respects to this, (laughs) to this very important venue in our relationship. And there was something about how I mentioned, like, my vision is so bad. It's like, too bad if we lived in Gattaca, like, this would be resolved. Or I mentioned something. It's like, you know, my my poor kids are going to be totally blind. He's like, well, not if we live in Gattaca. And I was just like, oh, my God, you're my soulmate. You are a nerd who is also partially blind and (laughs) gets me and didn't shy away when I like dropped kids in the conversation very early on instead made this really funny, completely spot on reference. So, you know, we were engaged five months after we met. We got married 10 months after that, and it's been 11 years of marriage. And now, a quick break.
3: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
4: My best hopes I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it.
3: I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I used to have so many men. How this beguiling
3: woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications.
0: She had a Harvard plaque
7: Emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Dablukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: All right, we're gonna have to go to our speed round now, Aim, Do you want to kick us off?
7: What book are you reading? A couple, because I'm a promiscuous reader and I'm always juggling multiple books at the same time. So I am listening to Tunde from Peloton's new memoir, which is excellent, right? So far, I'm loving it. I am rereading the A Court of Thorns and Roses series, because it brought me great joy at the beginning of the year when we were all locked down for um, the Omicron variant. And I just need to bring back some familiar joy into my life. And then Ro and I are reading a series called Wings of Fire, So there's a graphic novel version that he has the first five books for, but I really want him to also get used to reading or reading with me the full novel version. So we're making our way through that. And that's, it's actually excellent. And that's been really fun. So juggling those three
5: books right now. You're such a positive person. How do you get out of a bad mood?
7: (sighs) I have to give myself some time to wallow. So I don't try to push out of it too fast, but I do put a limit to said wallowing where I will listen to the music I need to listen to and I will like lie in bed or on my couch like a lump and just stare at the wall for a bit and I'll cry if I need to. I think I think a good cry can be very cathartic. And then once that timer goes off or that limit is done, it is... Tackling one really small tactical project that makes me feel like I have that win, which lately has been going through all like the drawers in my room and organizing it. So like I did that with my undergarments drawer last week. I felt like a new person. I'm going to tackle my socks like next because I have a lot of socks that just need to be get like tossed with holes and are worn out. That helps. I will also do, I call it like a tea meditation where you make a cup of tea, but rather scrolling on your phone or listening to a podcast while you're doing it, you actually engage all five of your senses while you're making the tea. So you listen to the kettle hitting a boil. You smell the tea as the hot water hits it and the aroma it gives off. You feel the heat of the mug. And so I kind of call that active or passive, like a meditation and like in living. So I'm not someone who does great with just sitting on a cushion in silence for 20 minutes. This is a way I'm able to kind of just come back to myself and give myself the grounding and centering I need. And then I'll try to get outside, even if it's for a quick walk around the block, or even going into the park a little bit and sitting on a bench for some time. I think getting outside and actually changing your environment can really help shift your mood when you're ready to move on from it and I think like something Tinks, an influencer on tiktok does is she throws like a funeral for you know dates that didn't go anywhere and they never followed up or exes I like to think of throwing a funeral for a moment of disappointment particularly if it was something I was really hoping for like an investor who I'd have been in conversations with for months coming with the no or a no from a potential partner. I think creating a small ritual of just saying, here lies so and so, may they rest in peace. Giving you that closure and letting you put the final nail on that coffin versus it feeling like it had been done to you is a way to reframe and kind of take control back of those disappointing moments. Who leaves you starstruck? I mean, besides the vice president herself, Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I think she was my first political crush. Um, Secretary Hillary Clinton, of course. Women politicians, clearly. Democratic women politicians leave me quite starstruck. And then I would say Stacey Abrams, too, which I who I got to meet at the Riveter Summit. And I met Vice President then-Senator Harris later that night. So really – I view November 7th, 2019 as one of the greatest days of my life.
5: Lou Burns has been listening to this interview, and he's going to join us with the final question from the male perspective.
7: I want to know, like, when you were, like,
3: in your 14, 15, 16, and maybe even high school years, what was that like for you? Were you, like, a a student athlete? Were you, like, in politics? How were you as a kid?
7: So I had a really rough eighth grade. We had just moved to the UK. I was in a new school in England. Um, And it was, I had always been aware of privilege and how much I had. But this was the first time being around extremely wealthy people that made me feel less than. And pretty badly bullied. It was a really, really, really hard year. Mercifully, it was also a school with a lot of turnover. So My ninth grade, beginning of ninth grade, was a much different experience with new friends and new people who joined the school that saw me for who I am and liked me for me. So that helped. And then I had two more schools my freshman year of high school. So by the time I got to 10th grade, I was tired of, one, moving, and two, having to make friends, that I found these two incredible women in my high school, Stacey Eady and Rachel Mendel Rice. Who were equally nerdy as I was about politics. Like, we would sit on long lunch days on Wednesdays, order a pizza from Domino's, and sit around and pontificate about like the state of the world and politics. Like, we couldn't vote. There was very little we could actually do. But I felt finally like I had found my groove. And with that came joining the debate team, joining theater, um, joining the school newspaper. I literally, I don't know if my parents nudged this or if I found my way here, but finding community and things I cared about really really helped. And I didn't care so much about what other people think thought or of me or of what was quote-unquote cool because I had a very clear sense of what these people find to be cool is not at all aligned with what I care about. And so I'm just going to release myself of that burden or expectation.
6: You know, Sam, it's really funny when we invited Hitha onto the show, I was trying to remember when I met her and I couldn't because Hitha is one of those people that once you meet her, you feel like you've always known her because she's so willing to share every piece of herself, the hard parts, the good parts, the ugly parts, the beautiful parts. And there aren't many people like that in the
5: world. And by the way, you know how my background is in personal branding. I think she is so smart about how she's managed her career and her brand. And you know, I I did ask her about her gray hair because it's true. She is so youthful looking with gray hair. She just pulls it off in a way I've never seen anyone pull it off. But on top of that, I think it's so adorable and sort of – disarming that she talks about her love of Taco Bell and romance novels because it makes it so that anyone can find something in common with her. And it's something I encourage everyone to do on their Twitter, Instagram bio, saying something that just makes you a little more approachable.
6: She actually got me to read my first romance novel. And whenever I do eat Taco Bell because my kids love it, I think of her. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy.
5: We would appreciate it if you leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast.
6: What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com.
5: Thanks to our producer, Stacey Para, and our male perspective, Lou Burns.